maybe people are familiar enough that, like you you actually have to dry it before you consume it you can't just like cut it off the plant and immediately smoke it that's not how it works so, yeah i wouldn't even know that so that like i don't know that people that's things <laughs> i don't think that people really per se know that i yeah. know that for a very um <laughs> doesn't matter <I> <laughs> yeah you just know it <laughs> i just happen to know that yeah <laughs> Well, I love coffee, and I know that you are very familiar with this sort of first style of coffee tourism, which is when you go to different places exploring coffee roasters and different independent um, ones, coffee yeah. shops and things like yeah. that. Yes. And when I was like younger and in college and then first out of college for years, most of the travel that I did was basically going to visit friends where you could sort of afford the like, say, plane ticket to, you know, mm. go visit a friend in another city. But then when you were there, you would stay with them. And I always really loved coffee. And I had an, a very good friend from college who's also named Rebecca, who is also into coffee. And we were really into exploring different coffee scenes um, in different cities. And, and then, so that really made me start seeking out, trying to go to places where they grow coffee, as well as if I was in that part, those parts of the world to, to go to coffee farms, to really try to put that into my itinerary. Welcome to the Wing and It Travel podcast with me, James Hammond. Every Monday, I'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice, and so much more. Right now, I'm taking the podcast on the road traveling with me. So tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, gap year student, or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you, designed to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share, and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. We're going to chat about two of my favourite things combined today, coffee and travel. And we'll get to that in a second. But an update for the last week. I have been working like a dog on my time, on my business, on my podcast stuff. I've been reaching out on cold emails, pitching emails, do articles, interviews, trying to get some podcast work. Uh, LinkedIn has been heavily influenced by my incessant posts every day so lots going on trying to get this uh, side business going and also lots of interviews i've had three interviews this week all long format and um, so really busy to the end of the year for the podcast really exciting and we've got the wrap up of the usa road trip coming up next couple of weeks as well so planning that out other than that just make sure you spread the word about the winning Night travel podcast it does actually help the podcast the best i think to spreading the word Hopefully they like the content and the interviews and also in the show notes of each podcast and the podcast description. Uh, if you go to Apple or Spotify, you'll see some links on there, affiliate links that will help the podcast go forward and keep it independent and sponsor free. And that would help the podcast by if you book something and a little commission comes my way. Finally, I want to say you can join my Substack. If you go to substack.com forward slash traveling bean, you can find my newsletter there. Subscribe, it's free you'll get my newsletter every Wednesday, weekly. And I've also set up a separate newsletter for my Wing In It's book club because I get sent a lot of books to do for the podcast. So I'm going to review some by word and tell you why you should read it. So yeah, that's the update this week. Let's get stuck into coffee and travel. Cheers. Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I'm joined by Rebecca Shabul. Today, we're going to combine two of my favourite topics within travel, which is coffee and travel. Rebecca loves coffee tourism, and we're going to talk about how she's visited different coffee roasters around the world, local coffee shops, coffee farms, and how we can maybe help 
ethical tourism within that space. It's probably a good discussion to have. Also, Rebecca works for an amazing non-for-profit organization called Not Just Tourists, which is doing amazing work. I'm going to talk about that today as well. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Excited to be on. Got my coffee ready. Ah, apt for the podcast. So where are you right now? I'm in New York City. Um, that's my been my home base for about 15 years. I like to think that I'm an intermittent nomad traveling around, but I always come back to New York City. And where did you grow up originally? Um, I grew up in a neighboring state called Pennsylvania in a small Rust Belt town um, that did not have wonderful coffee, unfortunately. <laughs> it's improved a little bit, but it's still definitely not, uh, you know, not not the place that you would necessarily go to visit for the coffee. Okay. Um, um, coal what, museums, maybe. Yeah. Say, what, what does Rust Belt actually mean? Oh, so it basically is sort of like it was an industrialized era area um, at the in the late 19th and early 20th century. And basically the industrialization destroys the agriculture or, you know, wipes out the agriculture. And then sort of the modern world destroys a lot of the industrial activity. So particularly where I grew up was coal mining. Um, but the expression is used to refer to a lot of like Pennsylvania, Ohio, some parts of the Midwest where... Yeah, there was a lot of industrial activity. They were much more well populated a hundred years ago, and they've lost both those jobs and therefore the population along with them. That makes sense because the small towns that we saw driving across, there's just nothing going on, hardly anyone there. They're like ghost towns, I said to my partner a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's there has been a much more population increase where I grew up in the past few years, actually. Um, some COVID exodus people uh in particular. But especially when I grew up, there were tons of just like neighborhoods with ton of, so many empty houses. I mean, whole mm. areas, whole parts of town and, and not just the town I actually grew up in, but in the, you know, the neighboring towns and everything that were just there were more houses than there were people. And it was just built for a population almost three times the size, really. So what happens to the people who stay? Like what do they do for job wise or if they have any jobs? <laughs> um. You know, there are, it's not great. Um, there are always efforts to bring more jobs to those places. And, you know, in different periods of time, there's particularly a lot of warehousing now where I grew up, which is mm. because of, this is very specific information, but because of the coal mines, there were railroad tracks nearby because the coal the yeah. trains would have to come to pick up coal. Yeah. And then they built, when they built a highway system in the US, they built some major highways that went basically sort of parallel or at least along similar paths to mm. the railroads. And so there's some very good, like near where 81 meets 80, and there's a lot of warehousing and that has been some source of jobs, a lot of kind of um, secondary offices for bigger companies, not exactly call centers, but things like that, like a lot of administrative work, things uh, that need to be done domestically, but not necessarily at, you know, your central urban offices. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um and then you're just usual medley of, you know, doctors and lawyers and school teachers and firefighters. You know, there's always the jobs that have to exist when there's any population anywhere. But it's never there's never been one great economic driver. since probably the 1930s. I mean, I mean, yeah. Wow. That's interesting, isn't it? Because it's such a big country. There must be loads of towns like that. Absolutely. Like Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's sort of the iconic ones like Detroit. But there's a lot of smaller ones. Um, yeah. 
that, that, that have faced similar fates. Um, and, you know, some of them have done better jobs than others of re replenishing themselves and figuring out more ways, modern ways to move forward. And other ones are pretty empty, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a strange um, phenomenon. I think in Canada, you see it less, a little bit, but not, but not as extreme as the US because of the US got more population. Um, yeah, when we drove across, it just felt like this is no one there. Or if there is people there, then generally a bit older or kids. <laughs> There's like no one our age. I'm like, where are the people that are our age? <laughs> yeah, you know, the funny thing is where I grew up, I think it was a pretty good place to grow up. I think small towns can be like a good environment in some yeah. ways to grow up in. Um, and there was a lot of freedom and a lot of uh, nature to play yeah, with. Outside um, stuff, yeah. But yes, there were not, there was not, they didn't, it never felt like a place there was a lot of future to be had. Um, mm. And that feeling, I think, emanates around to people the feeling of like, if you want to be successful, you have to leave, which isn't actually necessarily true, but that was definitely the zeitgeist. <laughs> but like right now, though, technically, if we're going to carry on with hybrid working or at least remote working, then technically you don't need to leave as long as you can have a good internet connection and you can work a computer. And you don't have to leave the small towns going forward. Now, it's quite a new thing, right, because of COVID, but I wonder if people will actually go back because it's maybe cheaper land, buy a bigger house. I don't know. Maybe that's a thing. Yes, there actually has been quite a bit of population influx in the last few years out of New York and Philadelphia in particular um, in because they're, and because of general the national housing crisis that the u.s is facing yeah suddenly having too many houses is actually so unusual that you know there people will kind of go anywhere where they can find housing which is a real change um but and not and certainly not something brought by like a good change i would no. say but no. yes the, the, that combination of housing the housing crisis and um remote work is very different and also i just think you know it might Whereas it might have been crazy to, you know, commute two and a half hours to New York or Philadelphia every day a few years ago to go once or twice a week, maybe and the rest of the days you work from home, maybe that's not such a bad option yeah. if you know you get to have a big backyard for your kids to run around it. That certainly seems to be a trade-off some people are making. You know, it's a, a whole new world. Who knows what it's gonna look like? Because in the US, yeah, there's so much driving involved. <laughs> Let's get anywhere. Yes. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, yes. It's but I think a sometimes. lot of people used to commute, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes each way. So I'm not a driving person. I, uh, okay. Yeah. So I can I'm imagine that. City, I try not yeah. to, well, I don't have a car and I, I generally try to avoid things that involve too much driving, but it's hard to see much of the US, Canada's, well, honestly, most of the Americas without driving. So. Yeah. You need a car big time. It's not like Europe being jumping on a train, going to each city. It's, uh, it's not built for that. And in my experience, when you do coffee tourism, there's some driving involved. Either you're being yeah. driven or you got to drive yourself to those uh, coffee plantations because they are obviously not in the not center the of town. In being, <laughs> yeah. Inherently being farms there. So for growing up in Pennsylvania, was there much travel for you, which maybe got you interested in travel in general? Um, there was, we did some travel, I think um, more than... A lot of people, um, mostly vacations to, you know, to go see family members who lived in other places. Mm. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this um, in preparation for our conversation. 
And I was thinking that so many of my memories of traveling when I was a kid are really food memories. Okay. Um, I can think of one summer for my parents' work. We spent it in Maine. And I have like some very lovely memories of like being at the beach and stuff because we were pretty close to the water where we were staying. Yeah. And I that's very different than where where I grew up, which is more in the mountains. Um, but also one of my memories, you know, a lot of those memories really are actually just about the the food and eating the fresh seafood and stuff, which also was not super available in the early 90s in Pennsylvania. I mean, there were there's always obviously there's restaurants that serve it, but not in the same way where you're like, oh, look, there's people bringing food off, you know, uh, shellfish off boats and things like that. That was, yeah. you know, my first exposure to that sort of a thing. And they really stands out in my memory. That's a good point, actually, because I remember like being in the middle like somewhere like I don't know Wyoming or South Dakota I'm like you're so far from the water here like you yes. are miles away it's like the fresh like you say fresh food from the sea not possible in the slightest no. and even just getting anywhere there is like river fish <laughs> yes in a of lot course. of those places and like yeah like fish but yes not yes not crab or lobster or mussels yeah. things like that yeah I did get a lobster <laughs> roll in New England that was pretty good um, but yeah, the, the food up there is sensational if you like fish. <laughs> if you don't like it, then it doesn't make a difference, is it? <laughs> Probably not. You know, unless you're really into like baked beans or certain kinds of pie. Baked beans are the best. Oh, no. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Baked beans in USA. Okay. As you mentioned it, I've gone a little bit of a tangent. You can't find normal baked beans in USA. What is the, what is the, what are English baked beans? How are they different than... American ones. American ones have probably way more sugar in them. Yeah, so English baked beans are just baked beans in tomato sauce. At USA, it's always with pork, brown sugar, bacon is a classic one. I just couldn't find anything about meat or about added sugar. It got me down, must admit. Yes, I think in, that's they do usually have pork. I mean, you can often find like ones, well, if a, they're promoting themselves as being vegetarian, I guess that yes. don't have meat in them but then they would be beings yes it would be like this is vegetarian baked beans and it would still probably have sugar, sugar or maple syrup in it yeah and maple syrup is another like great food from new england and eastern canada that's very hard to get elsewhere but like really adds interesting flavors i think we could do a different podcast on maple syrup yeah. <laughs> i don't like maple syrup that much uh, sorry oh. um yeah yeah i I couldn't find. I might kick you out of baking. Canada now. I don't know. No, I'm resident now. I'm too late. I can, <laughs> oh, say, okay. I, I can say what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about maple syrup though. That's like their iconic. I mean, the maple flag. I tell you the worst, the worst story about maple syrup I had. We 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 went ten hours like driving up north, and we got recommended to a little stop called the Sugar Shack. It's on this road. They do amazing food, and they do coffee. Coffee was good actually. Decent coffee. At that time, I was having sugar in my coffee. So I went, oh, can I have some sugar? Oh, no, we don't have sugar. I was like, oh, well, what, do I want, what can I have that's sweet in my coffee? Well, we only have maple syrup. I'm like, oh, for God's sake. Why do you have maple syrup? You should have sugar on the side. So I have to have maple syrup in my coffee. And I was grim. Ruined the coffee. Yeah, I would not put maple syrup in my coffee. That's That feels Too like much. it's a waste of both the coffee and the maple syrup, yeah, honestly. Both both not complement each other there they both should be kept separate and do their own thing yeah, yeah. So i do really like maple syrup but not yeah not standing up to something like coffee hmm. yeah can they sort itself out with that but <laughs> <laughs> okay and the next question for so traveling about uh, in usa seeing some states what about international travel when did that first come into your life when i was in high school i did a summer program in england 
Um, and that oh. was, I think, probably the first time I was really had been outside of the U.S. for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, any period of time, um, at least that. Yeah. And, you know, not that it's the most different choice, if you will. Um, but that that was definitely an experience. And it was one kind of thing where there's people come from all over the world to do it. Um, so that was, you know, there was a lot of exposure internationally. Where, um, where was that in England? It was at Cambridge. Oh, close to where I'm from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm from Norwich. So this is down the road. Um, and then I would say, uh, you know, I I, there, I was lucky enough to do a little bit in college as well. But really, it didn't come until um, the mid-2010s, I guess I would say, was when I was really starting, able to kind of start traveling more internationally, make more decisions for myself about, you know, what my schedule was going to be like um, and and whatnot. So a lot a lot of my travel before that was domestically and i still do like to travel within the us and canada as well um having lived my entire life basically in the northern part of the us mm. canada is very close by uh, it's closer than much of the us especially yeah. like montreal and toronto um so yeah there's you know it's it's friendly neighbor to the north doesn't feel so international I guess. yeah i get that someone, someone told me the borders were open before 9 11 um you could just go across about you know yeah you just passport. needed a driver's license yeah. it was very easy mm -hmm. and i think people used to it i mean there's a lot of things that were built i think really on the premise that that would be just kind of an open border particularly yeah. around like things around niagara falls and buffalo like upstate really upstate new york and that yeah. area and even i think also in michigan where there's like a point where canada is like there's a part of the U.S. that goes north of where the part of Canada is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think, you know, a lot of that stuff that was built in those, as those areas developed, just did anticipate that people would have a pretty easy time going back and forth, not be stuck at the border for two hours or however long if you go by land, um, you know, intermittently. So, yeah, we, we yeah. learned that in uh, Roosevelt Park, which is in uh, New England. So Combabello Island, it's a little island that connects uh, New Brunswick in Canada to Maine. And it's the only park in the world, I believe, that's internationally owned. So Canada and US own it both, but it's in Canada mm. technically over the border. And it's Compabello Park. I think uh, Roosevelt and the war used to go there for summer holidays and stuff like that. I'm like, oh yeah. If you look at the map, you do realize that Maine is so far up. Yeah. You go, you go up Quebec and around the top of Maine to go in New Brunswick. I'm like, well, that's no difference to being like in New Brunswick, right? It's the same topography. It's the same thing, really. Just the border goes across. But yeah, then you realize, oh, yeah, a lot of Canada is actually below USA. It's quite a weird dynamic. Yeah, it is. Borders are always such an odd thing. But I remember being years ago um, in one of the Great Lakes um, north of Cleveland. And my we were on like an island inside one of the lakes. And my my cell phone we had come from Ohio I hadn't really thought mm. about it and the cell phone kept trying to get you to join like Canadian signal oh um yes which yes I, I mean actually is not that big of a deal because quite like today it wouldn't be it would be not such a big deal actually my cell phone plan like on Verizon just includes Canada Mexico mm. but it was long enough ago not so you know eight years or something ago maybe 10 that that would have, you know, been charging you $20 a day or something. And you're like, I, I don't know how to make this stop. Like yeah. I were in the U S like problem. I, I didn't yeah. actually leave, but I see how 
this island might be like closer to the mainland of Canada than the mainland of the US. Yeah, that is strange. <laughs> yeah, we, we had that problem going in, actually. Had to turn it off. Um, mm. And we have a problem here on the island of uh, Vancouver Island. It's close to Seattle. So, mm-hmm. yeah, strange yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's very close. Th- yeah. There's a weird quirk where we are. I don't know if you know Western Canada much, but there's a bit of the mainland of Canada mm. and half of it is actually in the US. It's called Point Roberts. If you look, if people look on the map right now, Point Roberts is a border, straight border. And the bottom half of this little like peninsula is US. It's like 10 kilometers, like what, 10 miles long, nothing. Mm. But there's no schools or services in Point Roberts in the US part. So all the US kids, populations and stuff have to pop over the border to school every day. It's just a weird quirk where the border is. So they're like, they can't go anywhere else because the sea has surrounded them and then north is Canada. So they have like this weird like quirky relationship where happened yeah like why why is that i didn't know about that i yeah i know like i I have a friend from college who grew up in bellingham which is basically so far north in washington you're almost in canada but yeah they were it's like you actually had to go to they so they would go all the time across the border like that you know vancouver was the closest city but they didn't he didn't like go to school in canada or anything Uh, okay right you know it was like if probably how in New York you just go to yeah. New Jersey all the time or yeah. whatever, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you don't think about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but all the all the Canadians they drive down to Point Roberts and go over the border to get petrol or gas because it's mm. uh, so much cheaper. I <laughs> I don't know what I thought you were gonna say, but there I think there's a number of things that are sometimes cheaper. Yes, but then there's a lot of things that are cheaper in Canada, so. Oh, is it? I haven't found anything yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, well, okay. You have to take. You have to take into account the exchange rate. Oh, maybe the coffee is more expensive in US. Actually, yeah. I reckon you pay three US dollars for an Americano, for example, but you pay three Canadian dollars for an Americano, so that is cheaper here in theory. Yeah, but yeah, a lot. Canada's expensive, no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the US and Canada are both. They're just expensive countries. I mean, apart from the gas, the gas was the saving grace in the US. It was <laughs> east where you are, but going west. No, is it, yes, it is. Uh, yes, it is probably too inexpensive. No one comfort <laughs> me for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Should be more expensive. Yeah, before we get to coffee, yes. which is going to be a great conversation, you have been abroad this year to Southeast Asia. Yes, I. Where did you go? I was in. Thailand, Malaysia, um, Indonesia, and the Philippines, and briefly in Laos. I did sort of a long weekend in Laos. Oh yeah, um, which was uh, very interesting. It's, uh, but mostly I was in Thailand and Malaysia. Those are the places I spent the most length of time. Was that your first time there? I had been to Thailand before um, on a much shorter trip for like. Um, pre-pandemic <laughs> um yeah. I don't remember exactly how long we went but maybe about 10 days and I really liked it it was that it was honestly not somewhere that I was super looking to travel to it's such a popular that seems very silly but it's such a popular travel destination oh, yeah. that I thought oh I don't really usually want to go to super popular tourist destinations but I had friends who were nomads who were spending like six months in Thailand dream and yeah and and in the, and this is like again five years ago, so this was uh, seemed much more ex- uh, exotic at the time of an idea, and I the sort of schedule of when I could go meet them when they were traveling because in, in general they were gone for like two years um, lined up with them being in Thailand and I 
it's a pretty easy place to get to from almost anywhere because it's such a popular tourist destination. Mm. Uh, and so I went and we were in Bangkok a bit and in one of the islands. And I was just like, oh, my God, what have I been thinking? <laughs> Bangkok is such an interesting place. Great I place, don't know yeah. why anyone, no one, why everyone isn't talking about it. Yeah. Um, the islands were beautiful. Thai food is obviously amazing, which I did yeah. know that Thai food was very good. But it's, um, it, yeah, it's one of the few cuisines I feel like I can eat all the time and not think like, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> Um, you know, if you get home from somewhere, you're like, I don't want to eat that food for not Thai the food. next three months. <laughs> yeah, you know, but like Thai food, the ones I don't feel about like Thai food, Mexican food, Korean food. I love Korean food. Um, so yeah, I really wanted to in particular, well, I want, you know, I was very lucky to be able to work remotely and oh, okay. I am work. The time zone is terrible to the east yeah. coast of the US. It is, um, that was actually much harder than I anticipated because I have done like remote work travel before, um, but never in such a dramatically different time zone um, where I, so I was having all my meetings between like 9 p.m. and midnight uh, Southeast Asia time, which is 9 a.m. to noon in okay. New York. Yeah. Um, it was all, you know, it, it was all a learning experience, um, but it really, you know, I'm just so grateful because without that, you I wouldn't have been able to spend like several months straight in Asia and, mm. you know, you get to have such different experiences when you're somewhere for a long time and, you know, really stay in an apartment and get to, you know, just sort of have your daily life in different places. So yeah. that's a, the dream scenario going forward, isn't it? If you can work remotely, whether that's for yourself or just for a company that allows it, gives you so many options. I, I just need to go back to Thailand. I've been there like sure. twice or three times. I just haven't been for years, but I always just pine to go back. And I don't know. Oh yeah, it's a great country. I love it. I've seen a lot of it though. But I just always mm -hmm. want to go back. I think food is a part of it. But also just that, you know, you can chill out on an island. There's so many islands to choose from. You've got the obvious ones, but there's loads of other ones that people don't talk about. Like Koh Lipe, for example, and stuff like that. You think, oh, I just want to go there and just sit there on the beach and just have proper water, warm water, proper food yes Green. and it's gorgeous and people are friendly and it's an interesting so it's interesting things going on i was telling somebody um recently i i cannot imagine how this came up in conversation but uh it was basically about this one day we were um on mopeds and we were on like an island kind of like but particularly on the like further more rural side of the island and there's just kind of like for restaurants it's they're basically the back of someone's home on that's, the side yeah. of the road. And, yeah. you know, that's true in, in a lot of the world, right? Like if you, when you stop at a restaurant somewhere, the restaurant is like heavily in quotes and you're basically paying like a very nice woman to, or maybe not a nice woman, but, uh, you know, at least a sort Probably, of a yeah. welcoming person of some kind since they're yeah. like advertising that you can, you know, come in and they have like the bathroom of their house set up as a, you know, a, a restaurant and they're making, uh, you know, they're making food and it's, both as a result of the way that they live and just as a result of a lack of infrastructure, very fresh items. Oh, and dreaming. <laughs> I hope someone's going to be upset by what I'm about to say, but you, we ordered something like that. We ordered some chicken things off the menu. Um, and at, you know, at one point my friend Tim was like, Oh my God, she's killing the chicken. Um, you know, we, we pulled in, basically, you can see there were a few chickens in the yard and that's not 
unusual in Asia to see like chickens mm-hmm. running around. And yeah, and you know, it's almost like it's kind of a joke here sometimes when your food takes a really long time where people will be like, what are they doing? Oh. Milking the cow or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got it, you know, catching the fish. And it was like, she's literally killing the chicken because she can't, you know, if nobody comes in that day, then she's not gonna That's a waste, preemptively it? do it and waste yeah, the yeah. chicken. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, it was delicious. Thank you. Again, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> how did you, good life, you know, how did you find like the, the islands, like in, in general, like, did you like the, was it busy or was it less busy than you thought? Like, what was your impressions? Um, and where did you go in the islands? What islands did you go to? Um, when I was earlier this year, I was in one called, um, Kofangan. Yeah. And previously yeah. I had been in one, um, called Kulanta. Kulanta, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like, they're actually on the opposite the side. Size. Yeah. Um, But that had to do with the time of year that we were there, which if you are going to Thailand, look up the weather and where yeah. it makes sense to go based on the time of year because the answer actually changes very dramatically. <laughs> um, And you will be inevitably, like weather matters a lot in places where mm. uh, indoors is a very relative expression compared to like how the cold weather places in particular, like in the US and Canada are built. Um, But I would say that I did this time, you know, 2023 find it to be very busy, but there was a, we were on the island. It was relatively busy the whole time. I mean, but it's, you know, but it was like pretty manageable. Mm -hmm. And then there was a festival the like last weekend that we were there and that was crazy there were way too many people everywhere and you just met people who were like we paid x amount of dollars to like stay in a hotel and I was like I'm sorry that's what I paid to be here for like a month what are you talking about (laughs) yeah like and you know and just I think and don't get me wrong like Thai people are very welcoming and I think in general like they're not out to make every last dollar but the attitude that we encountered like during the period of time of this festival of the full moon festival was just so different than the rest of the time or anything else I experienced in Thailand um, of just like, I, I mean, I don't know that they're literally the same people, but that the attitude of everyone was just totally different and much more brusque and much more like how I want to get every like last cent out of this situation. And then, uh, how do I, I don't, <laughs> this sort of environmental damage you see, you know, just from oh, yeah. one to it's three actually, day events are overwhelming. I think the performing party is so popular that they just switch on like money making mode for that like week because it's like a mm-hmm. week or weekend. And I think they just, they realize that for the rest of the month, there's probably a slow amount of tourists that go there because people just go Copenhagen for performing party. But the site after full moon party on the beaches, like all the crap everywhere and stuff is is awful really and it goes into the sea as well and i think maybe they don't like it the the general locals on the on the island because they see it okay we can make money but the attitudes and the and the trash maybe they're not a fan of it i i yeah i mean i'm sure it depends on the person but i i do think it's definitely something that's like happening to them and not something that they're yes i don't i don't begrudge them like behaving I mean, I'm sure the tourists were worse behaved, believe me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Um, one of the funny things that has very recently happened in Thailand is that marijuana was legalized um, okay. in 2022, but nobody, Thai people don't really consume marijuana. It's like for tourists, basically. Mm. And there's no rules in place. They didn't create any sort of legal system, regulatory system around it, like like in Canada, for example, mm. or what's supposed to exist in New York State, which is all <laughs> a little chaotic <laughs> as well. But it's it's just like a, a basically a, a free for all as like the way that I don't know, say clothing is unregulated as an mm. item. And so there was just, and it's pretty new. So there was just a ton of marijuana stores, especially in the touristy areas, but also in the sort of expat or wealthier areas of Bangkok as well. And when we were in the islands, you would see people growing like small marijuana plants outside, you know, to sell like small amounts at hotels and things like that. And then also like basically plant stores that were growing marijuana and the climate is relatively friendly to it. there being so hot it's actually really a desert plant but i guess it can handle some you know the rain somewhat if it's that hot and sunny mm. all the time and so there was just there would just be like tons of marijuana plants outside these stores and here that would like get you robbed i mean people put like massive yeah, yeah. protection and yeah. like in, uh, around that in the united states and canada and it was just like i think they thought well some i guess a no one's taking it and b if they do well we'll just like have another plant it's just a plant um, which was just like fascinating to see, especially after all of the like infrastructure and rule creation and and again security that goes into that those exact same operations or the same least result operations in the US and Canada. So something to look mm. forward to slash not forward to, depending on how you look at it. Um if yeah. you're going to Thailand, it's very strong. Like, <laughs> very strong weed. So be careful. Well, I guess they've got this weird i guess they've got this weird scenario where if they if they don't actually consume it then the locals aren't going to nick it because they don't, they probably don't care like oh we don't need it i guess it, then it might turn into a bit, bit of a business in the future where like oh he's selling more than i do in the future it might ramp up a little bit but yeah i guess if only tourists want it i don't think tour would tourists nick it maybe some tourists would but most tourists just buy it to consume, not to nick the plant because they've got to go yes, home. Yes, <laughs> and I do, and maybe people are familiar enough. That, like you, you actually have to dry it before you consume it. You can't just like cut it off the plant and immediately smoke it. That's not how it works. So, yeah, I wouldn't even know that. So that, like, I don't know like, that people. That's things <laughs> I don't think that people really per se know that. I yeah. know that for a very um. <laughs> doesn't matter. <I> <laughs> yeah, you just know it. <laughs> I just happen to know that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's still, yeah. yeah. Um, but it is sort of like, what if, it, it did feel very like, what if marijuana was a tomato plant, you know, and or an apple tree mm. like that, where they're just, you know, you know, it's not like you worry, people like have apple trees in their yards, and you don't worry, what if somebody steals one of my apples? Like, yeah, exactly. I, I don't think, anyone, you know, if you need it, if you need it that badly, take the apple, I think would be most people's attitude or, you know, whatever, like you either have, a, have no apples or tons of them. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that kind of a thing. Okay. Anyway. Let's go to coffee. Mm -hmm. So you reached out with a little email proposal about talking about coffee and tourism, which is great. So first of all, what made you want to talk about coffee? Like, what was the thinking behind it? Is there like sure. a trip you've done or you visit some coffee farms? Like, what's the thinking behind that? 
Um, well, I love coffee and I know that you were very familiar with this sort of first style of coffee tourism, which is when you go to different places, exploring coffee roasters and different independent um, ones, coffee yeah. shops and things like yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that was something particularly when I was, you were sort of asking about my travel, like, uh, trajectory. And when I was like younger and in college and then first out of college for years, most of the travel that I did was basically going to visit friends where you could sort of afford the like, say plane ticket to, you know, mm. go visit a friend in another city. But then when you were there, you would stay with them. You would, you wouldn't necessarily go out and do extravagant things. Um, and I always really loved coffee. And I had an, a very good friend from college who's also named Rebecca, who is also into coffee. And we were really into exploring different coffee scenes um, in different cities. And uh, she was lived for a while in San Francisco. And that has like long had a, a pretty good coffee scene. And, you know, it's also a really great, like a really expensive cup of coffee is like $5, right? I mean, yeah. most coffee, like as a relative yeah. item, it's much less than, right? That would be like a crazy cheap glass of wine or like a moderate to inexpensive price beer, mm. depending on where you are. And so, you know, it's like to be like, oh, let's go with your friends to coffee shops is like a pretty inexpensive way to explore as well. I wouldn't mm. say like that was like the first thought that we had, but it made it very easy to go do that, right? To like check out different coffee shops because- if someone doesn't want a coffee, you don't have to have a coffee, right? If someone, you know, it's not the kind of thing where you're like all compelled into it. Um, and I just got like, I think the more coffee you have, maybe this isn't true for everyone. It's hard to say, but I like the more coffee you have, the more interesting I think it becomes, the more you're able to spot nuances between them to really learn about how all of the different processes, all of the different elements of the coffee process from growth, where in the world it's grown, the type of bean it is, the um, the drying process, the storing process, the roasting process, they all go into the result and impact so many of the different things that you experience as a coffee consumer. Um, and I just got really fascinated with, with that and with seeing that and tasting it, I guess, more than seeing it. Um, and then the New York that I moved to, New York City that I moved to in 2009 um, did not have a great coffee scene. There were, huh. there was good coffee. There definitely was, but it was mm. very much something you had to seek out. Um, you would, you know, research and then go actively, like go look, find places that had good coffee. Um, or, you know, obviously people were already writing blogs probably at that time about it. <laughs> And, um, you know, so that was something that I did. And then over the years, New York has like had a, gotten a lot more, particularly coffee roasters as the city has figured out sort of ways to roast coffee within the city, which basically has to be done in like semi-industrial areas. Yeah. The localized pollution rules. Um, and, you know, and there's just many, many more good coffee shops and places that carry high-end coffee, specialty coffee, um, and so now I do think that pretty much in any neighborhood, there's really somewhere that you would want to drink coffee. Um, but there's definitely still, you know, some outstanding ones and it doesn't make it any less interesting to me than then when I do go other places to seek it out. This is a patron shout out to Laura from the Swamp Soup Stickers, who has contributed five pounds to the podcast on my Patreon. Thank you so much for your support. Really appreciate it. And it helps the podcast 
to keep going in the future. If you're interested, head to the show notes where you'll find a link to my Patreon. The website address is patreon.com forward slash travel podcast. For five English pounds, you will receive some trendy stickers from myself and the post, a shout out on each episode, and also my digital travel planner by email. Thank you for your support. The, the first question I have then for New York City, because let's say someone listening right now, if they're going to visit New York, they're probably going to go to Manhattan like I did this year. So in Manhattan, could you name two or three places that are great for coffee? Are you just worried that people will only give you recommendations in Brooklyn? Is that what keeps happening to <laughs> oh, you? Oh, if there's something in Brooklyn as well, yeah, fire away. <laughs> I'm just thinking like, well. No, New York Brooklyn. is large, absolutely. Yeah, no, um, yeah, no, yeah. Something I'm a big fan of a place that's a New York uh, coffee roaster. They roast in Brooklyn and then they have, I think now they're up to six or eight locations um, called Variety Coffee. Um, and it is, they've expanded a bit more recently but again that's still in like a very small scale and they roast locally um and they have their own obviously they do their own beans and everything and so they have some different varieties that's one that I really like Mm -hmm. um to go to another one that roasts just slightly upstate but has uh locations in the city is called Irving Farm Um, okay and they roast in a town called Irvington but the low the other than there, and I mean, I think they have it a little bit um, in that sort of area, the Hudson Valley, which is very tied in with the city uh, culturally, um, but is, and they have some locations in, in Manhattan okay. um, as well. And I very much enjoy their product. I think that also like one of the fun things to do though, can be to go to, well, to try a lot of different ones, um, but to go to uh, coffee cuppings, where you go and you know you really try at the roaster uh, or at the yeah, like, like little ones yes yes like, like, like a co- coffee tasting yeah like, like beer tasting like you try little ones don't you yes like a yeah. like the flight of beer right but it's yeah. like the mini yeah. yes the mini coffee varieties yeah. um from a different place um depending on on what you like um and i think that there's even kind of more new coffee things opening mm. i think that's very much something that's still happening we're still in the sort of swell up that being said if you are in new york there are places that will actively try to trick you into thinking they are like small batch roasters i don't want to like shame anyone right now <laughs> like any places so i'm okay. not gonna name drop them i think anyone who lives in new york will like know particularly two new places that have just opened a ton of locations and if you look at individual ones they appear to be like small coffee shops but they are not, and they like do not do a good job with their coffee. There's a lot. Oh. I mean, for all of the good coffee, there's still a ton of terrible coffee. A ton I mean, of shit coffee. There Here is so much bad coffee, <laughs> like in yeah, in bodegas, which in general I'm a big fan of, but like they usually have terrible coffee. And yeah. in uh yeah, in a lot of like chain places, in a lot of diners or casual restaurants. Um yeah. I yeah, years ago I well, and it doesn't matter, but uh, you know, it's definitely, I would say almost any neighborhood you're staying in or working in or visiting for whatever reason, there's going to be some good coffee shop that you can yeah, scope out. And it's worth getting on record how shit Starbucks coffee is. I am not a fan. I wouldn't even. <laughs> not a fan. Yeah. I'm anti. I don't like it. What? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just, you know, I don't need to. No, I, I just but I love the chocolate brownies. somebody about it recently because 
they were like, but the Starbucks is closer. And I was like, I'm not, Don't care. if we go there, I'm not going to get coffee. So we're still going somewhere else to get coffee <laughs> after that. <laughs> like, like, over here, it's like, oh, what is worse? Is it Tim Hortons or Starbucks coffee? Oh, well. Yeah, whereas here Starbucks it's like basically, especially on the East Coast, Dunkin' Donuts for Starbucks. And yeah, to be honest, if those are my two options, I personally would choose Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah, it rarely comes up because, but like maybe at an airport or at yeah, a, or somewhere like remote, driving somewhere, and yeah, exactly, yeah. like at a rest stop kind of thing where those are the things. Yeah, and every once in a while you do see Tim Hortons also in New York. Um, yeah. there's a bit of that, but not many of them. So someone um, said to me in Canada about Tim Hortons, right? So Tim Hortons used to have good coffee, apparently. Mm. I'm, gonna take, I'm gonna take that with a pinch of salt, but then their coffee got sold to McDonald's. And now I don't mind McDonald's coffee. I've got to put that on record. I don't. I don't love it. But I don't mind it. But now Tim Co- Tim Hortons coffee is a shit, right? It's just crap coffee, like Starbucks. But people are saying it used to be good, but now that coffee went to McDonald's, and then McDonald's have their coffee in Canada. This is not maybe mm-hmm. US. Yeah, and that makes sense because I, if I have to get a coffee and there's like three or four chains in a in a little town, I'm, I'm going to McDonald's and get a coffee because it's not too bad. Um. I mean, I do think you can do worse definitely than McDonald's coffee, but I, that's interesting. I don't know the answer to that. I almost wonder though, if that person just got used to better coffee over time (laughs) and realized that it wasn't so great because like, I remember in particular, like my parents drank coffee when I was growing up. I mean, they drank Mm. Folgers, which is, I don't know that. That was like canned, oh. pre-ground coffee. It's not instant, but it was like very, it was sort of the one of the most, the largest brands in the US for a long okay. time. And then they started get, drinking like, you know, in the 90s, as a lot of these things started to change, maybe like some eight o'clock bean and other kind of like slightly nicer coffees, but mm. nothing compared to like what you would drink today. And I like, um, you know, taking my dad to some like in the like late aughts to some nicer coffee shops and like kind of always being like oh well why don't we just go to this place instead of starbucks or you know instead of what whatever other bad coffee and at one point he's like i just i can't drink the other coffee anymore i used to think it was fine and now i realize you've showed me all this good coffee i don't want to drink the other stuff anymore that's a fair point the the annoying thing about usa a coffee drinking perspective is you get paper cups i'm like oh just give me a normal cup the amount of times we went to any, and this could be an independent cafe as well, and we're sitting in, they still give you a takeaway cup. And I'm like, nah, I don't like this. It's just a waste of paper and wood, right? I'd rather have yeah, a normal no. cup that they wash up. I absolutely agree. And as somebody who mostly drinks iced coffee, even as even places that often have mugs won't necessarily have any sort of like to stay cold cups, yes, which I find true. very That's odd true. because yeah, yeah. cold coffee is extremely popular Probably, here. Yeah. And I would imagine at least half the people coming in. I mean, I haven't done a you know scientific study, but uh, <laughs> casual, my casual observation is that at least half, if not more than half, people are drinking a cold coffee. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of reusable cups. I like to mm-hmm. as much as possible carry them around. I I'm a big, I, particularly often mason jars is what I'll carry around because I like how yeah. you can like properly seal it, and I'll like carry coffee with me places. Um, and then sometimes people are like, are you like, think that you're drinking something funny out of there in a way that no one like seems to ask you if you're just like have a, uh, what's obviously a coffee cup, even if you put other things in it, they don't ask you, but you know, yeah. sometimes with a mason jar, people are like, why, what, what he got there? And it's like, it's 10 in the morning. What do you think I have here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, that's what we start to do. We start to carry our coffee cups <laughs> around. Yeah, nightmare. Mm-hmm. Internationally, before we get stuck into like the coffee process, you know, the farms mm-hmm. and stuff, where where there some cities or countries that just had great coffee for you that you love drinking? Um, oh, there are. I mean, I think that there's a. It's something that you can find if you really seek it out in a lot of places. Definitely not everywhere. Mm. Um, Malaysia has some excellent coffee, particularly. Yeah um in georgetown and Penang georgetown. in the north yeah um but also in kuala lumpur i did have some great coffee as well mm-hmm. i think that as a place that's so interested in food in my experience malaysia was probably one of the most like food focused countries i've ever been to mm-hmm. um really love their food which i appreciate i mean yeah. it's like it's great go visit malaysia everyone um and uh but yeah and so i think that on some level it's just like people have a lot of appreciation for flavors and for what you put there's no non-weird way to say this what you put in your mouth um <laughs> you know also want good coffee and so that was like a really pleasant uh somewhat surprise to me um i uh seoul south korea also a great oh the best culture. place this year we went to for coffee so yeah unreal i know i mean i think it's another place where people are very i'm not sure what it is exactly what yeah he gets it um but yeah and i mean i i think those are some places i've really had great coffee and then where you know just sort of during general international travel um i mean i think there's a lot of us and and uh, you know canadian cities as well that mm. have have some great uh small coffee shops um i was in toronto earlier this year um and yeah definitely had some some good coffee experiences in the scenarios where I got to like really choose where uh, the coffee was being consumed because definitely not everywhere. I do when I travel internationally travel with a coffee pitcher. Well, and domestically, pretty much if I'm going to be gone for longer than like 24 hours, I will uh, travel with my uh, Japanese cold brew pitcher. Um, And I and depending on where I'm going and if I know how good the beans will be or not, uh, you know, but the coffee scene is there travel with, with beans as well, um, to mm. put in there. Um, but yeah, you know, that doesn't stop me from trying all oh, yeah. coffee in as many different places as I can. Um, and I think, you know, there's always different experiences to be had and people consume coffee in different ways in different countries. And you can have interesting experiences with that, even if it's not the most, exactly what you might want to drink all the time yourself True. so um yes yeah i think this year on our travels like the, the most surprising country which had like an overall good coffee scene was oman that was like okay. top surprising one hmm. uh, seoul was the best city which had a plethora of options for coffee like independent shops proper cups independent roasters roasted on site coffee like just mm-hmm. so many options in Seoul and I also thought I just love like I love espressos so I thought it's it's classic but it's Italy is just a great place for espresso we went to one place in Venice where they have like a hundred espressos on the wall to try they're all different types of flavors they're all like one euro so mm-hmm. I had like a normal I had one of their filter coffees because I have like hundreds of filter coffees as well and had an espresso it's just like I could be all week in here just trying different ones, but they, they close at 1 p.m. I like that because like, right, you get in for your coffee and we don't serve <laughs> coffee after 1 p.m. It's now wine and pasta. Like, okay, I get it. Um, yeah, I, it's always, 
some of those things are always so like <laughs> there's a lot of um Rose. yes well it's always funny like a lot of times when you come back to the united states like the things that you're like happy about and this would be i you know again it's similar like are often like the most kind of like some silly things like ice it's really exciting to like be able to have all the ice yeah. you want if you notice like americans <laughs> we love to drink ice um or like have ice yeah. in our drinks not just coffee but like you know water soda everything yeah. and yeah i remember like yes i can think of being in italy and spain as well where it's like no Bang, you can't right. have that now and it's like i don't want to be an asshole but like you have the espresso machine like i <laughs> re really like I, I can't have it yeah <laughs> like but you know i, I mean i try I, I try never to like upset people too much especially you know well let me rephrase that when i travel internationally i try to be like as accommodating or it's yes, like, sort of of like yeah considerate of the other culture and so i whereas here i'd be i maybe would be like come on just give me the coffee <laughs> uh yeah because like, no american is like oh it's inappropriate to drink coffee at this hour that doesn't like fit with our cultural perception of coffee mm, um yeah you know like here people yeah. go to get coffee at 7 p.m which is if you said that to italian they'd be like what the fuck are you doing yeah absolutely um, yeah yeah so, no and, and exactly and they're much i think a lot of places ideas about like this is when meals as well right this is when you eat yeah. these foods or this is when you like you no right or wrong during not these towns <laughs> yeah. yeah no you can't eat during not times and it's like which I think you know if I like we're really living in one of those places would be fine you just like is a very different is a big change from kind of all day restaurants or like yeah. you know eating when it makes sense in your schedule um here so it's not to say it's good or bad just a adjustment yes I would like to try that place that you just said in Venice so I've never I've been I to Italy um but not to Venice so yeah there's there's two famous ones in Venice there's the Cafe Florion which is the oldest coffee shop in the world but you are paying twenty dollars ish for coffee. I'm make, not making that up. Uh, oh, I've done a lot I done, of money in Italy, especially. I done an episode on that, and I was shocked at the price. But yeah, it's about <laughs> it's about twelve thirteen euros for americano. But if you go further back outside of the tourist areas, there's a there's a roaster called Canareggio Vasione, I think it's called, where they do a roasting on site, and they provide it out to Venice as a city. But their roastery is at the back, and it's like one euro of coffee so it's like proper proper prices and locals go there as well so if people want to see that episode they can check into my trendy coffee youtube channel <laughs> where i showcase that uh that coffee roaster well, that but, does sound wonderful also because i do feel like italy is a country where a lot of the coffee is roasted by one or two major coffee brands lavazza for example y yes yeah which i do like don't get me wrong but yeah you're right i don't know it's something wrong that it's just it doesn't have the the frequent variety that I yeah, and it's, it's always dark roast. I find mostly maybe medium to dark roast at best, but no light roast. So yes, dark. I mean really roasting dark roast, which is also so much of what you find at Starbucks, at Pete's, at really almost any basically, you know, sort of large scale American chain as well. Mm. It allows for consistency, and if you're trying to produce yep. the same thing over and over again, yep. I can see how there's value in that. Right there's yeah predictability and people want to Trust know what it. they're getting some yeah. people want to know what they're getting um and it definitely eliminates i mean i would say i would rather the variety but i can see how <laughs> you know uh some people clearly prefer the consistency and you know it does take some of the guesswork out of you know if you're going to have thousands of locations you know the be the detail work of you know everyone mm. along the way um 
you know, particularly I think dark roast like allows you to have more room for error when you're when you're making it. Yeah, um, that's true. It, very um, very geeky coffee talk, but yeah, you're right. If yeah. you've got, if you've got like a dark roast, it's easier off the bat. But if you if you find that like light roast that you love, you, you better make sure you write that down because you need to make sure the temperature is right again. The, exactly, and it might not even it. be the next bag of it. Yeah, it might not be the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's like, I it's I was form. yeah in upstate New York this weekend where I went to college. Um, so Ithaca, New York, which is a lovely town in the Finger Lakes. If anyone's looking for summer or fall, do not go in winter. Mm. Um, vacation places to go to. It's a wine region and there's a lot of great local agriculture, but there is an excellent, the first really good coffee I ever had my like hallelujah angels singing <laughs> coffee moment. This is why people drink coffee. This is what it's supposed to be. A, a roaster called Gimme Coffee, which already in the early aughts was just at the time was like pretty groundbreaking, I would say, you know, with the direct coffee relationships and uh, the, the quality that they were producing, um, which now is much more common, but it's, it's 20 years later and they were, mm. you know, they were doing it then. And um, I was at their coffee shop, one of their coffee shops this past weekend. It's still a very small roaster. They have a few locations in Ithaca and one in like the neighboring town of Trumansburg. Um, and <laughs> my boyfriend was like drinking a decaf Americano and he was like, this oh. is almost too good. Like the coffee is too smooth. <laughs> it's too pleasant. Coffee is supposed to be like a little unpleasant when you drink it. But de decaf coffee, which is, this is a bit of a geeky fact. That's a different bean, isn't it? So decaf coffee beans are grown obviously differently to normal coffee beans because they don't have the caffeine in it. So the growing process is slightly different for those guys. If it's, there are different varieties too, where sometimes there's like a chemical process that is used to remove caffeine. Oh, really? Oh, okay. As well from some. So what, it can be a normal. I don't know exactly how that Like a works, normal coffee like, bean and then they can extract the caffeine from that. Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, to make it, I should probably have, I, I don't okay. normally talk about decaf. That was even uh, a random aside that he yeah, he happened to have had some yeah but like I, they they don't do enough decaf coffee to have decaf coffee and like sort of on hand so you can if yeah. you want decaf you can only have the Amer espresso or americano and things like that um mm. i don't to be honest decaf is a little outside of my expertise because i don't really consume it at all yeah and that's like I funny never, now i think about it, it yeah. i think the last time i talked about coffee i don't even think the word decaf came up so <laughs> it, it shouldn't come up no but um... <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not a yeah i'm always i've drank plenty of caffeinated coffee i don't need to add decaf to my to my life yeah i've got this like um, little coffee bible book which tells you the history of coffee which cafe florian is mentioned in venice because it's where uh, casanova went and all those people back in the day and it was the only coffee shop in the world that allowed women in there early doors mm. but yeah, they're saying the decaf coffee process is slightly different uh, for some. I guess for some, maybe technology these days, they can just literally get a coffee bean, extract it out, and it's done. But yes, decaf should, in my opinion, should not be talked about. But, um, uh, there we go. Like one of the most surprising off, places yeah. uh, that I found a coffee espresso machine this year was up Langtang Valley, you know, in Nepal. You can hike up three days, get to Langtang Valley. It's about three 3,000 meters above sea level. And someone told me, oh, yeah, someone's doing espresso coffee. It's like, get out of here. Like, you don't get espresso coffee in the mountains. And yeah. like, no, 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 you used to go to Himalayan bakery. So I went there and lo and behold, there's a guy there, quite young guy, 
serving espresso coffee. And bearing in mind anything there, whether it's building materials, whether it's a coffee espresso machine is carried up by someone. Someone, yes. had, someone had to lug that up the up the path to Langtang Valley and it's called Himalayan Bakery, I think it's called. Uh, yeah, and really nice guy, but he's doing like espresso coffees, iced coffees, the whole lot. At that, which is, I mean, remark- I haven't been to Nepal, but I, I mean, I can imagine how remarkable it is. I wonder is if it's affected by the altitude. Um, altitude. Uh, thing about coffee is deeply sure, but when it says like Nepalese coffee, it is in terms of like packages, it's packaged, isn't it? But the, the coffee bean will be like from somewhere else. But I think, mm. yeah, I don't actually know at that level when you're storing just coffee beans, whether the altitude and the temperature would affect it. I'm not sure. Oh, I was more, that's interesting too. I was more thinking just like literally because espresso is a pressurized machine. Yeah. If yeah, that, no, right. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It, it tastes like, bloody good. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, yeah. you don't have to be very high for it to impact like the boiling point of water, for yeah, example. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Um, so I wonder, I mean, I've been, I'm not, I haven't spent a ton of time at, at like extreme altitude, but I've mm. spent time at what I guess you might call moderate altitude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like in Colombia and it can, it's like always, it impacts a, a wide range of things. Yeah. So I would wonder. Right that. Yeah. But so there's a, there's another, so that's Langtang Valley village. Mm-hmm. And then further up, another 300 meters, so about a thousand feet, there's another coffee shop. There's two actually up there who do espresso coffee and that's even higher up. Um, but yeah, the, the guy was just saying that he found a gap that uh, Westerners who are doing these hikes, they don't really like instant coffee. It's a bit yeah. shit. Like, oh, yeah. so if, if we do an espresso coffee in a cafe, in theory, people should come and it's always flopped to people just needing the coffee after hiking for five hours. <laughs> I mean, that would definitely be me. I mean, I'd, yeah. be, I'd be hiking yeah. the mountain and being like, I can't do this. And like, yeah. And be like, but there's gonna be coffee. Yeah, so, and it's gonna be cold be up good. there, and a nice cup of coffee, espresso. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, instant coffee. I feel no. very badly for how many people basically only ever drink instant coffee in the world. Yeah, I grew up on that. Yeah, grim, grim stuff. I, I didn't really have instant, but I did have a lot of like gas station coffee and just truly terrible, <laughs> non-instant but equally terrible. Yeah, equally terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yes um okay what about some coffee farms have you visited much of those around the world yeah so I've been to them in a number of countries it's I would say easier than it sounds to get to perhaps I mean it it helps a lot if you're you know already in the coffee belt um which is basically the sort of middle of the world um where I believe it's I can get you the the exact uh measurements but it's um yeah 25 degrees north and 30 degrees south um so it's like even within the tropic of cancer and tropic of capricorn like it's narrower than that Mm -hmm. um and it's really the only part of the i mean that's a huge portion of the world in some ways but uh it's the only part where coffee beans will grow there so you know if you're not in that area you just cannot be part of it um and they grow best at uh quite a bit high altitude generally as well so a lot of the best coffees you know really come from the mountains of colombia Mm. or mountains in, in places like Costa Rica. And um, I mean, the same thing is true in Asia and in, in Africa. Um, and yeah, I've been, I thought of the first time I I did it, it was almost a bit of an accident um, where it was just sort of, I was doing, 
know, let's call it traditional tourism, <laughs> generic tourism yeah, generic, uh, in Costa Rica yeah. and Panama with a friend. And it was like one of the offered tours. And I thought, oh, well, that's great. Like, that sounds amazing. I didn't know. Um, and then once I'd sort of done it once, I was like, oh, okay. So clearly this is something, you know, it's not developed like wine tourism, but it's something that you can seek out. Um, and there's obviously some established parameters around it. Uh, mm. And then, so that really made me start seeking out, trying to go to places where they grow coffee, as well as if I was in that part, those parts of the world to, to go to coffee farms, to really try to put that into my itinerary uh, as much as possible. Um, and so I, I've been in, in Hawaii, which is like the only part of the, the US um, that you can grow coffee. I've seen some in Mexico, in Vietnam, um, in, uh, I, I said in Costa Rica, but mm. most extensively in Colombia, where there's really, which is a huge coffee growing country. I mean, they yeah. really, um, it, it's essential to their, their, their economy. Um, and there's a, if you're already in Colombia, which I spent last winter, um, quite a, quite a while in Colombia it's very easy to travel domestically um if you have if you have some spending money uh the domestic flights are much cheaper than here they're like public trains or uh yeah not a great cheaper. example sorry if you don't live in New York um <laughs> they whatever these are like $15 flights yeah to go uh you know places and um they're it's relatively popular the the coffee triangle in Colombia is a beautiful place in the mountains with a lot of other agriculture as well. And there is a lot of domestic tourism in Colombia. And it's one of the places that people from wealthy people from Bogota and Medellin um, are particularly likely to go. It's quite close. Those flights are very short. The driving takes uh, a very long time because you have to go up and down extraordinarily tall mountains i mean you're you know keep in mind, we were talking about altitude bogota yeah. over like 2500 meters high okay wow um yeah. yeah and so and some of these mountains and stuff are equally <laughs> equally tall um or you know maybe slightly shorter but it's, anyway very up and down and the roads between cities are not amazing in colombia mm. um but then you when you get to the coffee triangle in colombia not to be confused with a coffee belt. That's the part for the whole world. Um, coffee triangle is what they call it. And it's a few different Colombian states um, and cities. And it really is sort of a triangle shape. Um, and there's extensive coffee growing, uh, a lot of different sort of levels, if you will, some very large scale production, and also quite a few family small operations. And more recently, the realization that there is a like desire for coffee tourism. It's still very small. Also Colombia, where I very much recommend it as a destination in general mm. for travel outside of Medellin. And even in that scenario, outside of basically like two neighborhoods in Medellin, most people do not speak English. There is much less English than in a country like Mexico, for example, yeah. which has a much more established like us tourist trade. <laughs> Um, and just a much more established back and forth of population um, between the U.S. and Mexico. And so take a friend, if you don't speak Spanish, learn Spanish, first of all, what learn are you doing? Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Sick people. But uh, if you don't and you don't have time in the next, you know, before you go on your trip to learn it, I would really recommend going with somebody who speaks Spanish because while Colombian people are very friendly mm. and welcoming and I think particularly happy to show you the sort of rebirth of Colombia. Um, you, they can't just, you know, learn English at the drop of a hat either. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's going to take a while. So right. it's, yeah. yes. Um, and, but, um, sorry, that's all to say, the you can really experience the coffee farms, um, especially some of them have more sort of formalized tours set up, but a lot of them will just, the owner of the coffee farm or maybe one of their children um, will take you on the tour. And, you know, it'll, most of the ones I went on, it was just me or just me and the friend that I was with. Um, maybe sometimes there was one or two other people on the tour. This is, again, these are not some large scale, yeah. you know, uh, polished items. You know, they really taking you around their farm and showing you their processes, some of the, th the plants they grow sort of like in conjunction with the coffee to enliven the soil, to protect against pests in the area. Uh yeah. Um, you know, they try to do some what we would call integrated pest management, if you're familiar with that, where you had to like naturally fight off pests, um, as well as depending on the farm, some chemical treatments. And uh, you can a lot of the year when they're not in harvesting, very few people work on the farms um, and then they kind of do like the huge coffee harvest time of years. Mm. You know, if you think historically when farms like need the most amount of labor. Um, and those are usually people who come and they maybe will just work during those periods and like pick other, um, fruits or other items during other times of the year. Um, yes. And also do you get to learn like the whole process from like the start to maybe when they have to ship out the beans? Yes. You really get to see a lot of times like the baby trees that they okay. have, like the seedlings, but they're, which they're either growing sort of like in a greenhouse or in some sort of protected oh, yeah. enclosure right because like almost any other plant like the coffee trees they're not all going to be successful and the, yeah the most hey yeah just a quick one i just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast you can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with five dollars or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as t-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me, displaying all my social media content for traveling podcast and other stuff thank you uh <laughs> trying to think of that to say death but like the most uh precarious part of their stages is when they're small so they kind of you know you keep the littler ones together and then usually when maybe they're around two years old you would plant them into the ground or into the area amongst where the other coffee trees are depends on whether you the details obviously of your farm maybe you put them in new soil areas or maybe you put them just where you've taken out old trees and you really do you get to see the whole process and kind of experience with them these are the baby plants these are the medium age plants that are just starting to have berries that you can really pick and here's the ones at like the height of their age of their production value and um usually they'll let you i mean again it depends on the time of year but mm. pick some of the beans 
even in the, um, not in the, there's at least some fruit produced a lot of the year. So not enough to necessarily harvest, but enough for you to see it. Uh, other times of year, you might be there. There's these gorgeous white flowers on the coffee trees. Yeah. Make a really interesting display mm -hmm. um and then the coffee beans themselves grow inside what are like a, it's a berry basically it's a fruit on the outside and it's like a pulped skin and they're red when you pick them and the outside is sweet um you can eat the outside mm -hmm. i've had it a few times and it's quite tasty and like soft kind of like a tiny plum almost yeah and then not quite as sweet as that but um, but a, a similar texture and, and I think like a level of flavor. Um, and then in, in some coffee regions, people, when they dry, depending on how they remove the skins, um, you can dry that and make a tea called Coscara out of it. Oh, okay. And, oh, wow. Huh. Um, nice. It's not something, I mean, I do think it's something you could probably find here, but I don't think it's something mm. that's usually exported except probably in very specialty items. It's just, it's not. It's an interesting experience you have though to have though if you go to one of these regions i would recommend trying it um and then you really see so right they grow the coffee and then they harvest the coffee obviously um and then there's a few different methods for removing the skins as well as drying the coffee because basically almost all coffee the vast majority of it um is exported yep. from wherever it's grown uh and in order to do that, it needs to be dried, um, needs to lose some of its uh, water concentration. Mm. And then that end result, however you get there, and there are various methods um, to get there that different farms will use depending on their style, depending on the part of the world you're in. Um, that's then considered like a green bean. Green bean, yeah. The green beans are what's, and they are sort of green colored usually. Yeah. Um, that's what's exported and what say like a Canadian coffee roaster would actually be importing in is, are those green beans. Um, and so all those steps along the way have done enormous amounts to impact the flavor, but the coffee roasting on the end also has a lot of impact. And a lot of times these smaller roasters, especially like the higher end ones in Colombia, most of the coffee, again, anywhere that you go where there's coffee grown is going to be exported like the vast percentage yeah. of it. Um, but in some countries, and Colombia is one where people do consume quite a bit of coffee, mm -hmm. uh, some of it is kept around and to be sold in the domestic market. And uh, then they do have some small coffee roasters, um, or even a lot of times the coffee farms will just have these like miniature coffee roasters on their oh. own farm to oh, nice. so they can yeah. test out the product to see yeah. how it's going mm. and also to serve if they have people coming through or to sell oh, okay some of them like especially they're really maybe just selling to specialty stores in their own region or restaurants yeah. things like high-end restaurants not um doing any sort of large-scale production the uh the large-scale production in Columbia the is Juan Valdez um okay it's the name of it and um but yeah, like yeah and that's some of the best coffee I've ever had is this like freshly roasted on the coffee farm coffee in Colombia. And there's nothing quite like the experience of like drinking coffee next to a coffee field, you know, with a coffee farmer or just, yeah. I was, I was going to say like that, that right now. Yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. No the, the, the best thing has got to be if they can roast it and you taste it there. Well, 
there's no manipulation. They've made the bean. They roast it themselves. That is about as authentic as it gets. Because I think a lot of people don't realise that. And I made you, I'm glad you made the point that when you get to the end of the process at these farms, it's a green bean, not the beans that you see in Walmart because they've already been roasted. Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, "I want to buy the, the the coffee from the farm, like original farm," great. But just be aware, it might not be roasted. It probably isn't going to be roasted. It's going to be a green bean, and you're going to have to roast it yourself, which is another, I guess, process. And it's like, that's not an easy process to get get hold of. So I think I'm glad you made that point, but I'm also glad you can go there and taste it because that's awesome. Uh, absolutely. And I do think that like almost anywhere, there'll be some amount of, again, these are miniature roasters yeah. that I've seen when you go to the coffee farms. These are not the large scale roasters you're going to mm. see. Like if you go into a coffee roaster in the U S or Canada, those probably cost $25,000. Yeah. And coffee farmers cannot afford that. And also they would have to be like shipped in from abroad. Yeah. Um, so if they have one there, um, often old style ones or just literally miniature kind of like death like a desktop one almost the size maybe of your uh maybe bigger than a, a bit bigger than a toaster but yeah um again yeah. much smaller than what you would see if you went into i don't know name a local coffee roaster um but you know where they're doing it in the back of the shop or something um and here and um but yeah no it's an amazing experience and you know they all most of them are you know farming is very obviously human intensive mm. and so there's still a lot of like touching if you will or <laughs> they're very experienced hands on that hands on with, with the beans at that process and a lot of them are very proud of it and there's been um there's a lot of different workers rights issues and you know coffee right. is the is like really a colonial product in a lot of ways. Mm, I mean, coffee yeah. is native to Africa and it was brought, the vast majority of its growth is in Latin America and in Asia. And it was brought to both of those places yeah, in different eras, um, often by colonizers. I mean, literally by the like ruling colonial powers. So there's a, there's maybe, a maybe support like the, the smaller ones based on that. Like if you're going to go to see some coffee farms, don't go to the Starbucks one or whatever. Go and go and you know go and see like the smaller farms. You probably need like you to go and do a tour and contribute towards the process. Yeah, and it's very helpful for them to have like a second stream of income. Yes, you know a lot yeah. of them um, are not. It's not the most lucrative business to be in. I mean, farming in general, but especially mm. commodity crops, and it's very difficult to compete. There's a lot of pressure to sell your product to large scale operators obviously it's sort of like an easier thing to do um and you know as much as there's you know these small independent coffee roasters and you know coming over those places and saying like oh we want to develop relationships and we would like these high quality items you know as a in pounds they're not buying that much compared to yeah any large company i mean mm-hmm. you know it's just when you think when you think about the sort of volume a small company produces versus the large ones Yes. Um, and I, I'm sorry, just to go back to something you said earlier, you can't, you generally don't want to ship at least not very long distances, roasted beans. You want to have yes. it as fresh as possible. Yeah. So if you do get, yeah, actually like farm fresh coffee will probably means, cause you can buy that. Like, yeah, you can. There yeah. are stores that importers or stores that will sell that to you. Yeah. Uh, green beans mm-hmm. and 
you can try to, you know, ha- buy some, have some fun with it, roast it on the stove. Roast sure it, yeah. There's some yeah. YouTube videos you can yeah. watch on how to do it. Um, I've done a little bit of it, not on the stove. I, I don't think I've ever tried that, but I've done like a little in the mini roasters and stuff. And it's a fun experience. It's a yeah. lot harder than it looks. Um, it is, yeah. and, and even I took some like a roasting course in Malaysia um, at like one of the schools that does the certifications. Hmm. Um, and that, you know, that was also really interesting experience. If you're super geeking into coffee, you know, those can be, that's like a intense experience just, but it gives you such perspective on how tricky it is to kind of constantly get it right. And coffee is like a natural product. So this, even the same beans from the same place are not, they're not going to turn out the same. And so your results are going to be different. Um, and you're just going to constantly having to, to check how, how it's going. Um, I think that's the same for most things, right? Like McDonald's, for example, they get their potatoes from the same farm, right? In Idaho. So if they were, if they got the same, even the same potato. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Drive through there, very interesting. But yeah, if if they got their russet potato from, I don't know, Kansas, it's probably going to taste different to Idaho. So they have to get the same place, same potato to taste the same. I guess it's the same with coffee, right? Starbucks won't change because they've got their fixed coffee bean that they like how they roast it and how they sell it. They're not going to change it. Absolutely. And if you think about, you know, if you go to the, even at the grocery store, if you buy six bananas or a bag of apples, even if they're the same kind, which uh, bananas are guaranteed with the same kind, but uh, apples are sort of something that there's quite a bit of variety among, Mm. but even if it's the same varietal, every one is going to be slightly different. And coffee beans are a natural product and so therefore mm. on some level each one is a little bit different than the others i think that's great same family come off the same place which is it makes it one of these that makes it interesting right like yeah. blueberries that's another good example of right they're all the same but in a thing a little thing of blueberries they're all actually a little different mm. um and so you're yeah all, yeah all of the effort along the way to bring you those that one cup of coffee <laughs> i just love variety. i just love variety there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, what's my next question for coffee? Oh, yeah. Can you volunteer there to work? Did you get any, any vibes of that? Or do you know of I, any particular companies that offer that sort of thing? I don't know of anyone where you can, like, volunteer. It's possible that, like, through the organization Wolf oh, um, yeah. or something like that, well, that yeah. you possibly could. Mm. But, no, I, I wouldn't say. I mean, I you definitely can have the, like, go and pick the coffee beans yourself and sort of try to go through that process. And mm. they're definitely like when you're there, they'll show you how a lot of the processes work. Um, I wouldn't, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that they really have it because they, I, I haven't seen it where they want like people to come in and kind of disrupt the labor situation. Um, Fair. Fair. But yeah. uh, you know, perhaps if you just wanted to do it for one day or, Although again, it is like something of a skill to know which ones to pick. Uh, mm. So you might be, uh, you know, though I think people, uh, if you go in any coffee region and you talk to farmers, like somebody will probably let you come apprentice a bit with them if you wanted to, you know, mm. just try to go and, and see um, what happens. I reckon uh, like if you went to Colombia, for example, you should just go and do what you've done in Malaysia. Just go to do like, there must be available, right? You can go and do a little course on mm-hmm. uh, coffee roasting, for example. You can even do like a little barista course if you've never done that before. Mm-hmm. And at least like 
learn the process in the country that produces the bean because then it, you might be working with the bean from the country so it's as close as you're going to get i'd imagine if you try to do that that'd be quite cool to get that experience yeah i think that would be cool and i do think like really going to the farms and seeing the like post-harvest process is also very interesting mm-hmm. um with the different drying methods and the, the skin removal and all of that and you know i don't know maybe you know who's to say maybe they they would let you volunteer i didn't sort of ask about about it in those terms yeah and i reckon if you're a new cafe owner looking to maybe get a specialized coffee bean you'd make the trip to like somewhere in the coffee belt right to see what coffee you think you'd want to have in your cafe shop right there must be loads of options i mean if you're really like going to start importing coffee and roasting it yes um mm. i think that's probably a little down the line from being like a coffee shop owner where you probably would maybe start out with somebody else's or yes, with like true. a yeah because something you know is uh that you can do like if you want to do some coffee roasting it again this is like more you know more seriously but like a small scale commercially is places will like let you rent time on their machines right most coffee uh, okay. roasting machines yeah, are yeah. expensive and so in yeah. some places domestically and certainly internationally they'll be like um kind of communal ones that people can rent time on like the place that i took that course in malaysia place other coffee shops or yeah coffee roasters come and do their you know they rent time on those machines Mm. because they're basically priced for like the u.s and european market and that's very high i mean malaysia is a relatively wealthy country but you know those are still very large ticket items and even domestically those are still huge purchases yeah yeah okay um, so but i reckon if people are interested in coffee and tourism uh i from my perspective go to a country that does it as in like they produce it so maybe club mm-hmm. is a great example go and drink at some independent coffee shops in medellin or bogota or whatever and then make a trip out of it and go and see the process itself at a farm that's a great collective coffee experience if you're intro- interested or into it and you combine and travel at the same time uh, doesn't get better than that I don't think absolutely and I mean people in Colombia are very dedicated to coffee mm. um there's a lot of art and murals depicting yes. yeah uh coffee workers and the coffee farmers and there's actually a coffee themed amusement park in Colombia <laughs> <Wow. Del> <laughs> um, are, are, are you sitting in like a cup and then they're spinning it around and stuff like that um <laughs> it's more like you're on a roller coaster and they've planted coffee field a coffee field around you so the roller coaster is like going through the coffee right okay. um yeah. or like the log flume ride is like the theme of a yeah. coffee cup um mm. and then there's like exhibits about coffee farming and the history of coffee and um in that look i mean it's literally called park del cafe like it's <laughs> yeah. a coffee theme yeah. park like it's uh you don't I mean, need Spanish for that. they're not like light with the it's not a light with the theming situation yeah. um i mean it is also just like the main amusement park and then sort of like that again somewhat domestically touristy uh agricultural you know gorgeous mountain region of colombia um because you know also all these like gorgeous i said right mountain areas yeah are, they're, they're beautiful to see as well right coffee yeah, color, yeah, you know yeah, talking yeah. about things growing on the side of hills and at a high altitude and even in hawaii where it's like lower altitude i mean then you're just in hawaii and everything's beautiful yeah. and it's on the side of of slopes overlooking the ocean so okay yeah that's but great no, I, th- I think it's a great idea and i would definitely recommend if you are like 
been moderately excited by coffee, you know, when you're going to be doing some international travel opportunities that like, I, I do think if you're going to, if you can pick one of these parts of the world to aim for, and if you just happen to be in one, you know, it's definitely something that could be a fun, you know, one to three day element of your tour is to go, um, to see the, the coffee of it all. Yeah, it's on my list. I haven't done it. Look at the, you won't look at the cup the same way. (laughs) And then you can just like sneak back in with, you know, seven kilos of coffee. Oh yeah. As long as it's not something else. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Don't ask Colombians about drugs. Also, yeah, you don't get in trouble with that. that. <laughs> um, they don't like it. Also, no. so don't do that. I think they've had enough of their troubles of that. I think they've been through. Yeah, it, so. yeah. So, okay, uh, we're gonna finish the episode for a company that you work for called, well, not company, not for profit, uh, not just tourists. What do you do? And I, I've already obviously read what you do, but it sounds amazing. Can you explain to listeners how important your work is? Sure. We are a nonprofit that provides travelers who are going abroad to impoverished countries with free suitcases full of medical supplies to take with them. So again, if you were going in this scenario to Colombia, you can fit it all right in with your coffee tourism. Look at that. Um, And you would be smooth. uh, We give people suitcases when they're going. um, And it's really, again, based on your travels already that you are going to go to give people suitcases full of free medical supplies, those medical supplies, as well as actually the suitcases themselves are donated to our organization. The vast majority of them are things that would otherwise be thrown away. Um, not there's not medical waste. It's perfectly fine, perfectly usable items. There's just a lot of waste in our system. Like we we're talking about with the coffee cups mm. where we just love to throw things away in yeah. this country um and uh yeah and it's a really great opportunity to give back when you're traveling to take things to underserved clinics as well as to create a connection with somebody on the ground where you're visiting someone who lives there who's servicing the community and it's a really unique travel experience on top of giving back um it's something a lot of people do as just like you know a few hours one day on their trip somewhere um so let's say you're going to cancun mexico for example you know, Cancun is a vibrant place with a lot going on, but there's a whole other side to the tourism industry where there's a lot of impoverished people living in the area, you know, who could really use the support. Um, We give supplies to people going, I don't want to say all over the world, but certainly to many different parts of the world um, where people there's underserved medical needs um, in them. It's originally a Canadian-based organization. Uh, The largest chapter is out of Toronto, it's been operating for over 30 years. Uh, we are new in New York City, but we're excited. And yeah. How can people get involved to help volunteer? Sure. If you're interested in taking a suitcase, well, you can get a lot more information in general on our website, uh, njt.net, uh, which has tons more information about what we do, where our supplies come from, the millions of pounds of usable supplies that we kind of rescue every year and put to good use, um, as well as the kinds of places that we send them to. If you're interested in volunteering in a city in which you live, there'll be ways to reach out to the chapters there. Um, Again, we're not a huge organization, but we do have chapters across the US and Canada, as well as one in London, England. and so yeah if you're in california or new york toronto i'm not going to name all the chapters but there's a a medley across uh north america 
that you can get involved with, that you can take suitcases from. You don't have to volunteer in order to take a suitcase. You just have to volunteer to, you know, pick it up and take it to the clinic where you're going. But if you're not traveling internationally and you're interested in helping out, we're always looking for people to, you know, help find more supplies, to pack suitcases, to help uh, okay. coordinate travel. You know, there's there's always things to be done. Um, so lots, lots of, of great excitement. Lots of different types of volunteering. You can help like on the ground locally. You can obviously take a suitcase abroad. Uh, I guess people might, if they're interested in working for you, I guess you might have some roles as well in different offices. So I guess they can all access that on the website. And do you have social media as well, I think? Um, so we do not just tourists. It's like pretty heavily in terms of our social media is on Facebook. You can yeah. look up not just tourists, the general organization. You can also look up the local chapters, say not just tourists OC, um, or not just tourists Toronto, not just tourists Boulder. Mm -hmm. um, just to name a different chapter for a change. <laughs> <laughs> We're a volunteer run organization. So it is entirely volunteer. And uh, I do have a different sort of day job, if you will. Oh, do you? Oh, I didn't realize. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. No, 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 no. Like we do this. I mean, it's a big part of what I do, but um, it's not everything that I do. And uh, we, yeah, I mean, there's again, you know, there's volunteering event on the ground, there's taking bags. But if you think you might be interested in the organization, you know, there's obviously always work to be done like from a laptop almost anywhere, reaching mm. out to people and helping us improve our online presence, improve the communications that we have both with uh, our travelers and with medical clinics. Okay, so I'll put all the links to the website and the social medias in the description notes so people can click on those and i'll whack yes. it in the title of the podcast episode name so people can just see it i guess forever um <laughs> yeah th thanks for sharing that it's very important work and i think it's obviously needed because it's uh one of those things that are constantly revolving door like you just need medical supplies all the time absolutely and there's so much particularly like disposable items like bandages and yeah. syringes yeah. and masks and gloves that you just like you just need constantly more and more of those and they're items I think we really take for granted it's something I very much like grew up taking for granted that mm. like there was always going to be more of something you could buy in a store or that, that would just be around yeah. I mean I think about like Sometimes in my work, daily work, I go to construction sites and there's just, you know, lots of first aid kits. And of course there should be, I mean, nobody's saying there yeah, should yeah, be, yeah. but it's just the kind of thing that you like, it's very easy to take for granted. Like the swabs that you get that clean before you get a shot, you know, mm -hmm. or like the amount of, you know, just kind of th those items that once they're used, then they really can't or definitely shouldn't be used again, bandages. Um, so uh, unfortunately not as widely available to everybody in the world yeah. um and you know we're really just trying to do some part of aiding with that as well as attacking sort of waste on this side um and again connecting people who are traveling with locals where they're going uh this was something when i came across it i thought it really addressed a lot of things that interested me sort of like giving back while traveling and also giving back to the travel community itself um so yeah, great work. Yeah, thanks for what you do. I think a lot of people around the world think, you know, say thank you for what you do because I think that it just shouldn't be a thing that people don't have access to stuff, but it's just a reality, I'm afraid. Um, uh, okay, we're going to finish the episode on some quickfire travel questions. Last little feature. Uh, you've been about the world, so that's good. Going to fire out some <laughs> favourites of your travels over the years. And I'm actually going to start with 
It's travel question time. Three favourite countries that you travelled to previously. Well, we've been talking about it a lot already, but I really enjoy Colombia. Yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, it's kind of an obvious choices, I think, unfortunately, but Thailand and Mexico, places that I just like, you know, really keep going back to. So I think particularly Mexico, like it's a very large country. There's a lot of different things to see. Um, there's beaches, yeah. but there's not just beaches. There's mountains and there's cities and amazing food and just, just so much different Gotta things go. going on. Yeah. Okay. What about three countries you've not traveled to that maybe next that you want to go to? Um, yeah, I'd really like to go to Turkey. I think you mentioned it earlier and it's also just somewhere that's very much like really on my, in my eye to go to mm-hmm. some other ones, um, Morocco, hoping to go at the end of the year. Um, and I don't think I'm going there anytime soon, but Georgia, the country of Georgia is oh, yeah. somewhere I've wanted to go to for a while or recently. But... Okay. What about three favorite cuisines on your travels? Uh, Korean food. Yeah. Mexican food. Yeah. And it's not one kind of food, but the food in Malaysia. So it's actually a yes. variety of well, varieties of food, but that, that are very common there because it is a diverse country. Yeah. Um, and not to say the other ones aren't, but the history is a bit different in Malaysia. And I just, you know, really epic food experiences. Okay. If you could drink a coffee in any city in the world and watch the world go by, where are you going to sit? I'm going to sit in New York. Honestly. <laughs> okay. I know I live here, but I choose to live here. I think it's an amazing place. And yeah. uh, there's just so much happening. And I just really think, I mean, I do it quite often, like just kind of, you know, go places and sit for a few minutes and enjoy coffee and watch watch yeah. life unfold. <laughs> okay, what about, this is going to be an interesting question. Which country has the best coffee? Or, okay, you have top three in no order that you would love to have a coffee in, as in their coffee is the best? Um, well, I haven't been, but Australia is supposed to have really amazing coffee. It is. Um, so I would really like to experience that at some point yeah. and try a lot of different ones. I mean, I think that uh, there's some truly great coffee in a lot of places in the United States. I'd be remiss to to not say that. Um, I think, I mean, Colombia obviously has some great coffee. Mm. Now I'm just giving all the options because I do also <laughs> think that it's like there's really interesting experiences to be had still in Italy with coffee. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I had some great coffee in Japan as well. I don't think it's sort of necessarily where people first think of, but... Mm. Yeah, it's like so much coffee to be had around the world. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. What about a favorite beach that you've been to? Um, Boca del Toro in Panama, which is oh, an island okay. chain um, on the yeah. Atlantic Caribbean side of Panama. Um, mm. Just epically clear water and really interesting coral. Uh, yeah, really beautiful beaches and. Uh, Lots of wildlife and Mm. yeah. Okay. If you could pick one country in the world to live in for a year, where are you going to live? I'm probably going to live, when I heard you ask this before, it was like that you haven't lived before. So Mm. I had to eliminate a few, but um, I'm probably going to pick to live in Bangkok. Yeah. Dreamed. Yeah. I would love to have somehow figure out a way to make that work, but it's, Okay. Logistically hard for me, just work-wise, but you know, someday maybe. 
Okay, next question is, if there's one view you can only look at for the rest of time, what view is that going to be? Oh, wow. The thing that first comes to mind is like some of the views in like around Seattle and Washington State with like the big mountains and the evergreen trees, mm -hmm. as well as water. I love a lot of water, obviously. Yeah. So that's, that's really when I just think about like epic views where you turn the corner and your jaw drops. That's okay. one of my favorites. Do you have a favorite mountain? I do not have a favorite mountain. I've never thought about a favorite mountain. Hmm. No, no mountains. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not like one mountain. I mean, like I, I think like the the mountain. I mean, Mount Rainier is very interesting to look at. You can yeah. see it from a lot of places. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think like the some of the mountain ranges in Colorado that I've seen are really the yeah. Yeah, uh, but also they kind of see them from different places. Um. Mm. But I wouldn't say there's like one mountain where I'm like, this is my mountain. I've never. I've just honestly never thought about it before. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And what about a favorite high adrenaline activity on your travels that you've done? Um, does terrifying plane rides count? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did indoor skydiving for the first time earlier this year. That was really oh, wow. cool. Yeah. Um, it's like a fun sort of, uh, actually, I guess, relatively low risk way to yeah. go if you're into adrenaline. Um, I do love zip lining, though. And I've been done. That's, I think, a really great one if you are... Um, like me, clumsy, mm. it's uh, relatively, and like fall down things a lot. Um, it's kind of hard to fall down. Your zip lining is actually basically impossible uh, as opposed to just like flights of stairs or if you're like climbing a mountain or just of like a not that intensive amount. And I've fallen down a lot of things in my life. Um, <laughs> I drop things a lot. I Yeah. So, but zip lining, I mean, there's just so many great places to do zip lining and you can really see often just get these crazy views mm. that unique, just, isn't it? It's really, I think it's a really unique mm. way to like see things from above and like, you know, where I don't know how they've done this, where they run the lines across yeah. some of these like crazy goals. Don't want to know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And I think it's something that, you know, that's really on offer in a lot of different places. Okay. Uh, penultimate question is a country or a place within a country that you didn't like when you traveled there there's like a very obvious answer for me especially recently which is bali yeah and i feel badly because balinese people are very friendly and very nice and perhaps the problem is that they've been like too welcoming to tourists over the years because yeah, people take treat it like yeah very badly and mm. it's a little hard to see and there is just the and again, this is like in no way the locals fault, like, but mm. the pollution, like the localized pollution, especially in the ocean and on the beaches is terrible. And like the trash that washes up and goes back and everything is like really upsetting is yeah. the word. And um, the the traffic is terrible and in a lot, especially in town, but it's, it's not just like, I didn't just go to Chengdu, like, it's in, I think it's in a lot of Bali and at least um, it, it's unfortunate. And I, you know, there, it's beautiful in many ways, but it is a, I think it could use some, a break. A reset. From all the I foreigners. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think. And also, and also to be fair, just like, it is also like the trash in the ocean is from that region as well. It's not just from, it's definitely mm. certainly not just from the state of Bali. It's, it's all around. And when I've been like, um, in the waters nearby I mean you're like with the guides and they're pulling plastic bags like trash and Ugh. like 
containers and stuff like out of the water while you're snorkeling or scuba diving. I mean, and it's so common for them that they like bring something in order to put the trash in it so that they can at least have like some things where they're like, I mean, it's not going to clean the ocean, but you no. know, they're at least contributing to sort of the improvement of it. I think it's a weird place. I think the semi expats and digital nomads there now that you just cringe when you're like, oh yeah, I, you know, I live abroad in Asia now. Oh yeah, where do you live? Oh, it's Bali. Oh, you're one of those. Like, I just think they're just taking the piss a little bit. And 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 don't say you're living there because it's like paradise. You're living there to save tax properly or just not pay any tax. So I just think there's a, it's a weird, weird vibe there. And it's definitely not the Balinese. The Balinese are totally nice. And I implore anyone who goes there to properly speak with Balinese and not just be a digital nomad or just a tourist who rent a driver for a day. Like, I think it's, it's yeah. a weird environment and it needs, I think you're right, it needs a reset. And I would say if you do go, like, try to use as many of the actual local sort of services yes. and, yeah. um, and, you know, items as possible. Um, and because there's, a, yes, <laughs> it, it's hard. Never conversation that, I think. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. Let's let's finish on an up note. Interesting let's, question. Yeah, mm. the last question is going to be: If someone's listening right now and they want to go traveling, but they're not sure or they're scared, what are you going to say to encourage them to go? Whatever you think foreign travel is going to be like, you're wrong. I'm wrong. We're all <laughs> wrong. Everywhere I go, I see unexpected things. Every time I go back to places I've already been or to a new place I've never been, like you see new things. And it really allows you to learn about other places, but also gives you insight on your home country and yourself. And I think the takeaways can be really wonderful and mind expanding. Done. <laughs> okay, Rebecca, thanks for coming on to the podcast. It's been a great chat. Talked a lot about coffee, which is one of my little pastime favorites, little passion of mine. But don't talk much about it on the podcast because it's a travel podcast, but we delved into some important yeah. subjects. Loved it. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. This was fun. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode as well as photos from the last eight to 10 years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels, and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.